0: Greetings and salutations! This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, The Rise of Alternative Music in the 80s and Beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way. To the rise of alternative music well hello and welcome back for part two of our john hughes music episode i'm Lori,
1: and i'm trey
0: so last episode we got as far as 1986 pretty and pink and today, we are going to start with what?
1: Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is also 1986.
0: Oh, one of my favorites.
1: It is a great movie. He, well, he sure turned them out, didn't he?
0: You know, he really did. And I think at this time in his career, I think he was using the money from one film to kind of finance the next one,
1: Probably. you know, to, to
0: keep the creative process going. Yeah, Exactly. All right. So, you know, Trey, after we recorded that first episode, I had a very, very interesting encounter at a karaoke bar here in Chicago. I was singing a lot of 80s songs, as was a friend of mine who was there. And a gentleman came up to us, introduced himself. His name is Gene. And we got to talking. You know, we realized we both have similar backgrounds, both about the same age, both in education. And I invited him to listen to Accelerated Culture.
1: Wow, very cool.
0: Yeah, so Gene sent me an email. It came through actually last night. And it's, here's part of it. This is cool. I looked into your Accelerated Culture podcast. Now, this is significant because he actually has footnotes in this email. This is how you know oh, a, fellow, wow. a fellow educator. Wow. Uh, I, I was blown away to see you start with the year 1982. Embarrassingly, I had not appreciated the importance of that year in music. For me, it was just an interesting slash amusing year in my life, namely the year I started listening to music on the radio. The first songs that I was particularly drawn to were Take It Away by Paul McCartney and Steppin' Out. Hence, I was pleased that Steppin' Out made it to your list. Also, your comments about the fear of nuclear war during that time brought back a myriad of memories, A couple more artistic ones that stand out are the movie The Day After, alluded to by your colleague, and Sting's Two Cents on the Matter, namely his song, Russians.
1: Oh, I love that song.
0: We had actually uh, been talking, there was another Sting song that he liked to sing at karaoke that was not available in the catalog, but um, that was the part of the email that was relevant. So, Gene, thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you at karaoke again soon maybe we can sing a duet
1: hey gene thanks for listening that's that's pretty cool
0: and now we continue with part two of the music of john hughes films well uh there was another movie he did in 1986 John Hughes wrote it, directed it, and produced it, and I'm talking, of course, of Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
1: Oh, this is a great movie.
0: Yes, absolutely. I do. I I don't ever get tired of this movie.
1: I don't either. And it, it, it seems like they don't show it very often anymore. It's one of those movies that was all over cable in the '80s, '90s, and early '00s, and it kind of just seems like it kind of kind of fell off the radar there a bit, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk about the song that you picked for this one?
1: I picked Love Missile F one eleven by Zig Zig Sputnik. I remember there was a back and forth debate over this over the course of the eighties among people who like it. How do you say their name?
0: It means burn burn satellite in Russian. Yep. Yeah.
1: Ultra. liked this band they people this is one of those bands people either seem to really really love it or they absolutely hate them yeah There's not a lot of in between with these guys and their album was unique in the fact that they sold advertising space
0: yeah i remember
1: songs on the album and that was
0: a uh, controversial <laughs> I, mean, I
1: thought it was pretty neat myself i thought it was pretty cool
0: it was kind of the antithesis of punk in that respect, because I mean, they're selling out, but they're they're so blatant about it.
1: I think that's what the, he was, what he was, they were intending to do was sort of be the opposite of what punk was supposed to be. They were going to be that, but still kind of have a punk ethic to their music.
0: I love the, the samples. There's one place where I think they're sampling like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really a lot of fun. So, A little bit of trivia about six six sputnik
1: the bass player tony james went on to join the sisters of mercy in 1990
0: oh i didn't know that
1: he stayed with the band just i'm not sure how long there's not a lot of info about this era of the band out there he was in there about a year some people say he played on the vision thing album he says he didn't who knows but he did tour with them for the album, which I saw that tour in Atlanta in 1991. It was when Public Enemy was opening for him. And I don't know, Public Enemy was all right, but the Sisters of Mercy were badass. I mean, they were fantastic. Okay. I had no idea they were going to be that great live. They just absolutely went off. Oh, that's cool. Well, they had like a six piece band and backup singers and everything. And you couldn't see them. The, the, the stage was completely fogged, the whole concert. Hmm. You see these little tops of heads bopping about up there while they were playing. But they were they were fantastic.
0: All right. So do you know the connection between Sig Sig Sputnik and Duran Duran?
1: I do not. Tell us.
0: Okay. Well, if you go back and you watch the video for Planet Earth, there are two people that are dancing together, arm in arm, at one point in the video, and one of the two people is Martin Dégville, the oh, singer ooh. of Yes. One of wow, the. Wow,
1: I never knew that.
0: Yeah, he's the singer of Six Six Sputnik. They all kind of were were from the same basic scene, but because uh, Tony James was in Generation X, I was which, about to say we
1: also need to note Tony James is our first man here Mm -hmm. because we've already spoken about billy idol in this episode Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so he was originally in generation x with with billy idol so so yeah a lot of connections so i i picked another song from that film too and these two songs kind of have i think the same vibe or similar vibe i picked oh yeah by yellow
1: Completely electronic songs. So,
0: well, and Yellow is so fascinating to me because it was this old guy named yeah. Dieter Dieter Maye, I think his name was, mm-hmm. and he did a lot of movie soundtracks. I remember uh, he did Nuns on the Run. Really? Yeah, he did the soundtrack for that. Uh, he actually did a song for another John Hughes movie. We're going to talk about later. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know. To me, Oh Yeah! is the iconic 80s song. It embodies everything that, you know, 80s music is.
1: I can totally see that.
0: Yes. And then, of course, there was that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they're talking about it and uh, Charlie Day calls it Day Bow Bow. He's like, you know, they're going to play, we're going to do a montage and they're going to play that song Day Bow Bow. And they're like, what's Day Bow Bow? And he's like, Day Bao Bow. bow.
1: Uh, this song just makes me think of the scene of Ferris Bueller's day off that it's in the bus ride. That is, that Mm -hmm. is hilarious to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, that, and um, the one that you chose, the six, six Sputnik was him uh, running and jumping over the fence, right? Or was that? Yeah. Yeah. And they did a Domino's commercial with that a few years back where they, they? they recreated that. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can dig that out for you. It was actually cute.
1: I haven't watched broadcast TV in probably 15 years now. So, yeah.
0: So the movie Ferris Bueller's day off, of course, me being a Chicago kid, you know, I have a a very soft spot in my heart for Ferris Bueller's day off. Right. He does all of the things that, well, I mean, not so much a, a Chicago kid, but maybe a tourist would do, you know, going to the Cubs game the parade on state street going to the art institute museum right i mean it's it's kind of like the ultimate day off then there's also the invented restaurant with abe Froman, the sausage king of chicago
1: which has <laughs> lived its own life ever since just the, the abe frohman thing
0: I had a college professor who the first day of class, he came in and he introduced himself as Abe Froman.
1: I've told people that was my name before, and they believed it. Oh, <laughs> people, that they don't know, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> really great movie, really great cast, right? Matthew Broderick, Alan Ruck, Mia Sarah, Jennifer Grey, a mm-hmm. very young Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen was perfect. Yeah. He was perfect.
1: Those baggy eyes.
0: Oh, and that, you know, that wasn't makeup. That was actually him coming off of a night of partying.
1: What are you in here for, drugs? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just don't about it. You know, there's one thing I take issue with, and that is Cameron wearing a Detroit Red Wings jersey. He would get his ass kicked by Chicago why, Blackhawks why, why fans. Why
1: was he wearing a Red Wings jersey in Chicago?
0: I'm sure there's a story there somewhere about that, but.
1: Because one of these people, he's not from Detroit, is he?
0: Who? Alan Ruck? Alan Ruck. No, he's from Cleveland.
1: Does Cleveland have a hockey team? Oh, I don't. I don't think so. So maybe he's a fan of the Detroit Red Wings by default, since they're so close to each other.
0: Hmm, Maybe. I don't know.
1: (laughs) That's all I can think of. That's all I got. Yeah. We weren't Hmm. the first people to ever ponder that.
0: Oh, I'm sure not. Yeah. By the way, shout out to my friend Rob, who's probably listening, who is a Red Wings fan. And that is Every year when hockey season, that is a source of um, rivalry between (laughs) us. I don't want to use, you know, a stronger word. So that's the end of 86. We're moving into 87, Trey.
1: And now we're up to some kind of wonderful, which was also directed by Howard Deutsch and written and produced by John Hughes personally if you ask me this one has a better soundtrack than pretty in pink okay i thought it was more cutting edge and you know they had they had a bit more underground bands on this one than in pretty in pink
0: that's true there were definitely some bands there i did not recognize but there were a couple that i did so what song did you pick
1: i picked the hardest walk by the jesus and mary chain which exists in two versions There's a version on psycho candy, which is a bit slower than this one. And then there's this version, which is used in this movie, which I can't find anything about them re-recording it, or I'm assuming they did it for the movie.
0: Yeah. And you asked me about it. I didn't know anything about it
1: either. It's interesting how you, there's just nothing about it out there other than it exists,
0: but ah, I love Jesus and Mary chain so much. The Reed brothers, Jim Reed and William Reed.
1: Awesome yeah. band, highly, highly, terribly underrated.
0: Yeah,
1: and their Darklands album had just it, well it come out shortly after this movie was released, which is a fantastic album, mm-hmm. very different than Psycho Candy.
0: I kind of came into them a little bit later. Uh, Automatic was when I started becoming a fan.
1: That's a terrific album, too. Yeah. Fantastic start to finish, yeah, the absolute burner. Yeah, I actually saw. Saw that tour and Nine Inch Nails was the opening act.
0: Nine Inch Nails opened for Jesus and Mary Jane, yeah, Really? Knew the
1: hell they were.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: they won the crowd over, but
0: wow.
1: Even Jim Jim said something about them during their study. He was like, The opening acts, you know, are showing us up a bit. Because, ah. you know, Nine Inch Nails came out and did what they do and went off and destroyed everything and, you know, breaking guitars and keyboards. And it was just insane. Yeah. When Mary Chain come out and play their 60 psychedelic influence stuff. And they kind of, you know, how do you talk what Nine of Nails did?
0: That sounds like a little bit of a mismatch.
1: Right. I have yeah. heard the Mary Chain actually requested them to open for them on that tour that they had heard a Pretty Hate Machine and liked them. I was like, can we can they come open for us? <laughs>
0: so,
1: again, I don't know how true that is, but right. It was a great show right concert
0: all right well keep in mind trey i have not seen this movie yet we agreed that we were going to wait
1: we're going to do a would you call it a commentary
0: i think so Uh, like live live commentary sure
1: we're going to do a a watch episode and yeah like laurie just said she's never seen it so
0: yeah so we're going to figure out a way to do that
1: I, i have an idea in mind What's it? I said, "I have an idea in mind how to flow it."
0: OK? All right. One of the songs that caught my eye or caught my ear, rather, "She loves me" by Stephen Duffy.
1: him you don't Uh, well other than his one claim to fame his I guess so to speak solo music I don't know anything about
0: right so his one claim to fame that Trey is alluding to is he was Duran Duran's original singer yes he's you know he had a, a few few solo songs you know some mild success that's really the reason that i included him in here is just to be able to say hey this is duran duran's original singer what a shocker (laughs) yeah well that and then you chose the next song which is another one i might have chosen too
1: i go crazy about quest for lulu themselves they were a pretty decent band this i don't think this one appeared on the soundtrack
0: no but they were a really underrated band
1: right they totally were and sadly their singer passed away i think it was in 2015
0: oh i didn't know that
1: yeah he had cancer oh so that pretty much ended the band but they 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 sort of were off and on over the course of the 90s and uh oh they would break up get back together break up get back together
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they were actually from england which apparently a lot of people don't realize I myself just always assumed they were from Los Angeles for some reason, because they did live there for for a good many years.
0: So is there anything that you want to say about the movie that's not going to totally spoil it for me?
1: Well, I was going to say, there's not much I can say here without ruining it from you. It shares a very, very similar plot with Pretty in Pink. But I felt like this was done a lot cooler than Pretty in Pink. And I've Mm -hmm. I've gotten into some arguments with people over the years about that. But damn it, I'm right. Okay. (laughs) All right. The main characters of this movie were more alternative music type of people than you saw in Pretty in Pink, I always felt like. Maybe it's, and maybe it's that I identify with these characters more than Pretty in Pink.
0: Well, I know Eric Stoltz is in it.
1: Yes. Mary Stewart matherson
0: Yes. And well, Eric Stoltz, that was after Mask, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Because that's like, he got so much acclaim for that. Right. He was cast in Back to the Future, but ended right. up getting fired.
1: Yeah, they said he was doing a bad job. I, there's a few scenes of that he did for Back to the Future leaked out there on the internet, they're not. Yeah, he's not terrible. I don't know.
0: I, he doesn't seem to have the comedic timing that Michael J. Fox did.
1: I can totally see that.
0: Yeah, and of course, I will always see him as the drug dealer in Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> prank caller prank caller who is this i'm hanging up i'm hanging up whatever happened to eric what's he doing these days
0: oh, that's a good question he's done some tv work recently a few bit appearances here and there
1: but he's still acting and not waiting tables at an olive garden
0: right
1: right <laughs> that's right good right. To know.
0: Right. okay so then we had another movie in 1987 that was written directed and produced by john Hughes
1: playing trains and automobiles
0: that one starred i do remember john candy and steve martin yes and ironically i am a huge huge fan of steve martin and yet i have never seen this movie
1: you've never yeah we talked about the how you i don't know i don't even know what to say this is one of the funniest movies ever made you 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 don't have any idea what you were missing
0: I understand it's like a christmas movie right
1: uh, it's a thanksgiving movie it's a road trip movie and it's a, a it's a friendship movie too okay this <laughs> movie how did you miss this over the years
0: i it, i don't know it just it, it's one of those it's like i guess i'm just never in the mood <laughs>
1: Oh, you 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 if you watch this, you will always be in the mood for it. Trust me. It is absolutely hysterical.
0: Okay. All right. This
1: is one of the funniest movies of the 80s, without a doubt.
0: I mean, I know the line about the the two pillows. I know that one.
1: There's so much better stuff than that in the movies. This is one of Steve Martin's greatest moments. I mean, he just eh, you know, he's just Steve Martin in it, but the way he he delivers things is so great. He just kind of has such a parts of this movie he uses such a droll delivery to sarcastic lines and it just works so well you know john candy's such a happy-go-lucky guy and they just play play off of each other so fantastically
0: you know <laughs> i so some people have said that molly ringwald is john hughes's muse i kind of think that maybe john candy was more of john hughes's muse because he, he was any?
1: Kind of became in, that, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he was in this one. He was in Uncle Buck. He was in Home Alone. Yes. The Polka King, right? Yes. Was he in the Great Outdoors? I don't remember.
1: Yes, he was in the Great yeah. Outdoors.
0: Yeah. So the
1: one with Dan Ackroyd.
0: Which we're gonna talk about momentarily, but uh yeah, how about that? John Candy replaced um Molly Ringwald.
1: John I, I could see that John Candy was a terrific actor. It's so sad that he's gone. Yeah, and
0: died definitely. at such
1: a young age
0: definitely gone too soon
1: yes and they said he didn't have any bad habits or anything and just you know was one of the nicest guys ever there's a story out there from like a set worker that uh says he was unloading some stuff out of a car one day into a building and john just walked up and helped him carry the stuff into the building and was wow being very true cheery and friendly with him
0: oh that's cool he
1: was just one of the guys
0: that's so cool Well, so what song did you pick from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles?
1: I picked Red River Rock by the Silicone Teens. there's an interesting story behind this band, which I'm sure you happened upon it yourself.
0: I didn't bother looking.
1: You did not. I knew you were going to. (laughs) I I was already well aware of this because years ago I'd gotten to wondering who in the hell are the Silicon Teens? And I I figured it was just something somebody put together for the movie. It's Daniel Miller, founder of Neat Records, Hmm. did this Started Silicon Teens as a joke in 1980 and even had fake band members and everything for interviews and completely pulled the wool off over people's heads with the whole thing. He had a fake singer, fake band members. They did interviews. I think they even charted a single on the UK charts with it. I I forget how they found out what the real story was behind everything, but they, he took it a good ways before the, you know, his secret was found out.
0: Hmm. How was he found out?
1: I think he finally admitted it himself at the end of the day.
0: Okay, so that explains why when I was looking for this song, I found a lot of versions that were credited to him, but I had a hard time finding mm-hmm. a version that was credited to Silicon Teens. Well, he
1: wrote and played all the music himself, so I guess the actual copyright mm-hmm. would have had to have been done in his name.
0: Mm-hmm. When you gave me this list, I'm like, Silicon Teens, what, what the hell is this, right? But then when I listened to it, I realized this is very familiar to me. This is actually an instrumental of the old folk song, Red River Valley, right? from I think it's like the 19th century.
1: Yeah, I believe so. I think it might have even existed somewhat in the 1800s. Yeah. As a folk type of
0: rendition
1: or whatever you would call it.
0: I mean, I know Gene Autry did a cover. I mean, that that's obviously not 1800s.
1: Johnny and the Hurricanes had a moderate hit with a rockabilly version in the 1950s, and I'm pretty sure that's what they were they were riffing on with this version of it.
0: Interesting. And you said that this is somehow uh, relates to the plot of the movie, or I mean, is something happening in the Red River Valley? You know the song I'm talking about, right? Just remember the Red River Valley and the one who loved you so true. You, you, you don't remember that Where one. Where is the
1: Red River Valley? You you haven't seen the movie. You just uh, you have to see the movie to get the context of this song. In the movie, it's used a couple of times throughout the movie, and it's almost trouble. It's almost the troubleless coming warning music for the movie.
0: Well, okay, so as we're speaking, I'm looking this up on Wikipedia. The Red River Valley is a region in Central North America that is drained by the Red River of the North. It is part of both Canada and the United States, forming the border between Minnesota and North Dakota.
1: There you go. You can get your geography and your 80s music trivia with our show.
0: (laughs) Aren't you glad you tuned in, folks?
1: I still can't believe you've never seen this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: We may have to do like another watch episode. On. Oh boy! Oh I
0: boy! I mean, this
1: this is one of the funniest movies ever made.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, you just you have no idea what you're missing.
0: Okay. All right. I'll add it to the list.
1: It's it's you know what I hate to s- sound ridiculous like this, but the ending of it is absolutely heartwarming. Okay. I mean, at the end of this movie, it doesn't touch you, or make you feel good. You you just you aren't a human being by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Okay. All right, well, I'll put it on my list.
1: You need to. You need to watch it very soon. We can talk about it.
0: All right, well, I did choose a song from this soundtrack. I chose Modigliani, Lost in Your Eyes by Book of Love.
1: believe I've ever heard this one I don't know a whole lot about this band either
0: you know they they pop up in my playlist every once in a while they're led by a vocalist named Susan Ottaviano yep And then there's a keyboardist named Ted Ottaviano, who is absolutely no relation to Susan. What are the what are the odds? That's an unusual last name. Yeah. Lauren Roselli and Jade Lee. I mean, so most people, I think, tend to think of them as a girl group, but they're not exclusively that.
1: was it one of these girls from England and one was American? Or am I thinking of someone else there?
0: I'm wondering if you're thinking, hmm, I don't know.
1: know I'm thinking of Voice of the Beehive.
0: Except they're both American.
1: Are they? I thought one of those girls was American. They
0: moved. They moved to England. Oh,
1: that's right. Okay. Well, go ahead. I'm screwing up.
0: No, it's okay. Because I, <laughs> I, I'm afraid I don't know a lot about them. I mean, I know they're from Pennsylvania.
1: I was gonna say they're from Pittsburgh, right? Philly. Oh, I'm just strike, striking out. <laughs> we should leave all this in there so the audience can hear us being silly about it. That's all right.
0: So, um, yeah, they they actually had a few you know like new wave modest hits and i just like this one it has a the uh singer's voice just has a very kind of ethereal quality to it that i really like so
1: i know the song i touch roses
0: yeah that's a good one
1: which apparently has about six thousand remix versions if you put it in on youtube which i think some of them are official and some of them are just fan done but i was like wow
0: Right. well, we've got three songs left in our, our countdown, Trey.
1: Next up is uh, She's Having a Baby.
0: So that was from 1988. I didn't realize at the time that this was a John Hughes film. He wrote it, directed it, and produced it.
1: Exactly. It's one of his more, I guess you could say, adult movies, kind of like planes, trains, and automobiles. You said you didn't care for it, correct?
0: No, so I saw it uh, in the theaters with my boyfriend at the time. It was just okay. I think maybe being in high school, it was not something I could relate to. I wonder if maybe if I were to watch it now, if I would find it more relatable.
1: I was 18 when I saw it. I saw it Mm -hmm. with my girlfriend and we both absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was cute. Don't get me wrong. But I was with my grandmother and, you know, she she said, oh, what movie did you go see? And I said, she's having a baby. And she got this horrified look on her face. (gasps) Is it rated? So she says, is it rated? And I I don't know what she thought. She's having a baby. What, like, this is a how-to film? (laughs) You know, I don't know what she was thinking. I'm like, no, Gammy, it's not rated. And then we just left it at (laughs) that. Is it rated? So anyway... What song did you pick from She's Having a Baby?
1: Haunted When the Minutes Drag by Lovin' Rockets. Haunted by us. which is off of their 1985 debut seventh dream of teenage heaven. This is actually a really great song. That album was a fantastic album, but this, this is one of the, one of the better songs on the album. It's, it's wonderful.
0: Well, it blew my mind when I saw this on your playlist, because again, I having not seen this since 1988, I didn't remember any love and rockets being on the soundtrack. The but yeah,
1: it's Gene loves Jezebel's in the movie. Yeah. Did you watch the end credits? no well among other bands you see gene love jezebel and daniel ash reciting off baby names really over the end credits yeah and this song plays over the end credits well part of them anyways
0: interesting yeah
1: i love this movie i love this dark look at suburban neighborhood societies of the late 80s i found all that stuff absolutely hysterical just the uh, remember the lawnmower ballet and all that stuff Vaguely. <laughs> you need to rewatch. I remember
0: thing. I stopped taking the pill. You know, I remember, you know, mm-hmm. she the,
1: the hilarious. uh the time is right scene. Yeah. If you get bored. You can watch TV. Yeah. The pillow under my butt.
0: Yeah. That doesn't That's really, funny, that, that doesn't stuff. really sound funny. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I get you have to see. you know, again, you, I guess you just, you need to rewatch it. I don't like kids either and have no desire of ever having them. But I, the whole, it was hilarious to me. All
0: right. I'll give it another chance. I don't think as a teenager I would have found it very um, relatable. But So then there's another film after that, 1988, The Great Outdoors. I do remember this one. I did see this one. Of course, the only thing I remember is what a sleazeball Dan Aykroyd played.
1: <laughs> this definitely isn't one of John Hughes' better movies it's just your typical goofball slapstick 80s comedy but you know what i found it hilarious when i saw it in the theater and i still to this day i think it's a pretty funny movie
0: yeah so john hughes wrote it and produced it he did not direct it
1: who did direct this one
0: i'm gonna look it up uh howard deutsch
1: i did have guess that
0: everywhere
1: i probably should have looked that up before the episode but i didn't realize that that's why i didn't think about it
0: that's all right but yeah it was it was just not very good and i went through a phase where i just adored everything that dan ericroyd ever acted in
1: i still do to this day
0: well this was one of two films that he was in that i absolutely cannot stand
1: what was the other one
0: nothing but trouble
1: that movie's grown on me over the years.
0: Oh, uh, that's one of the worst movies ever made.
1: <laughs> it, it it gets that title. Yeah. I've rented it back in 1991 after it failed miserably in theaters and I just
0: The only good point of Nothing but Trouble was Digital Underground. <laughs> that's that's the only redeeming factor. But anyway, let's get back to the great outdoors because I know right. I'm, I'm getting us off topic. <laughs> so, you picked a song by a band that I know
1: Oddly enough, I found this strange when I was researching the music to his movies, and uh, this band itself is a little obscure, and that's why I found it very unusual. They were even used on a soundtrack for a movie like this, but it's pop itself with the song off of their debut LP, Box Frenzy, and the song is called There Is No Love Between Us Anymore. When I fall in will be for itself is how would you describe them
0: <laughs>
1: you can't I,
0: I, i've never attempted to uh describe pop itself
1: they get grouped in with the Gribo stuff which hmm. at times they do have elements of that at other times they're basically rap music and at other times they're sort of this almost dark top 40 music sort of a
0: I mean, there's there's elements of like industrial in there as well.
1: At times, yes.
0: So you mentioned Grebo, and Trey, you know, I've been pushing since we started. I would really love to do um, an episode about Grebo music.
1: We can for sure do that. I've been on a Ned's Atomic Dustbin kick lately, yes. which I know you've noticed.
0: Oh, yes. And you know I love them. But um, that comes a little bit later, I think, in the chronology. That's like late 80s, early 90s. Right. So how does this fit into... The film is what I'm trying to envision. I'm trying to remember where this would have I taken. I
1: can't remember it being in the movie either. That's why I, saw, I found it unusual when I was researching the music. Soundtracks to his movies. And I saw this on the great outdoor soundtrack. I was like, what in the world? The only thing I can think of is that it's in the amusement park scene when he meets a girl.
0: All
1: right. remember when he, uh, the son John Candy's teenage son meets the pretty girl working at the amusement park there, kind of, kind
0: of. Oh, you know, I did notice when I listened to this, this does have a sample from Nat King Cole in it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it fits into that film.
1: I've got it. I've got it on DVD, but it's been, a God, 10 years since I've watched it. So, like I said, it's a horribly cliched 80s comedy, but I love it.
0: That's what I say to that. <laughs> All right. So then the last one on our list, and this is certainly not the last John Hughes film, but this is the last one that we're going to talk about for our time period, which was the 80s Uncle Buck.
1: I, which I love. I found it absolutely hysterical. It seems to be a lot of love and a lot of hate for this one. Personally, I love it.
0: I've never seen it.
1: You've got, what in the world is <laughs> I think I was I, going through. Go I was. How are you the host, hostess of an 80s oriented podcast? And you've never seen some of the pivotal 80s comedies.
0: I went through a phase where I was really into Saturday Night Live, SCTV, Second City, right? All of these, you know, not ready for primetime players. And I think by the time I got to maybe my sophomore year of high school, everything changed. And I was just suddenly no longer interested in anything I used to be interested in. And I think that included these
1: actors. You know, you living up there in Chicago, Mm -hmm. you had more to do versus me living down here. All we really had to do was go see freaking movies or sit around in the food court of the mall. So I, I pretty much saw every one of these movies in the theater except 16 Candles. Okay. So, you know, I think that that's... That's the factor there.
0: Well, I know that Uncle Buck is the iconic John Candy role. And I remember when he passed away, all over social media was just rest in peace, Uncle Buck. Rest in peace, Uncle Buck. You know, well, he,
1: was... he passed away in 94.
0: Oh, was it 94? Yes. Okay, so maybe it wasn't social media. It was like what, February what or about?
1: March of 94.
0: What am I thinking of then? I mean, I was on the internet in 94.
1: I was not yet.
0: Okay, let me take that back.
1: I, I knew was email the email was.
0: I was the sysop of a renegade BBS back then, and I, okay. all over the BBSs, people were saying "R.I.P. Uncle Buck." So
1: I saw it on MTV News. Yeah, they did a thing where they break in like they used to do, and yeah, you know, yeah, that's pretty sad death.
0: Yeah, you know the uh, talent gone too soon, and he really, you know, was. I don't want to say an enormous talent because I don't want to sound like I'm making a, a bad joke, but I mean, well,
1: you know, they said he was started taking steps to lose some weight and the year or two leading up to his death, you know, he started realizing that it was going to be very bad for him. So he had started eating healthier and, I don't know if he was working out, but...
0: What did he ultimately die of?
1: I forget his exact cause of death. I believe it was a heart attack, though.
0: Yeah, that's what but I think.
1: I think it was brought on by blocked arteries and all that in general, you know, goes along with that.
0: Yeah, and his weight did not help anything.
1: Maybe we should talk about the song I picked from this movie.
0: Maybe we should. Tell me what <laughs> song you picked.
1: <laughs> Bust a Move by Young MC.
0: Try to do what those ladies tell us Shot down, cause you're overzealous. Play hard to get females, get jealous. Okay, smarty, go to a party. Girls are scantily clad, are showing body. A chick walks by, you wish she could sex her, but you on another wall like you was Poindexter. Next day's function, high class luncheon. Food
1: is served in your stone cold munching. Music comes on, people start to dance, but then you ate so much, you nearly split your pants. A girl starts walking, guys start gawking. Sits down next to you and starts talking. Said she wanna dance cause she likes the groove. So come on, fat, so and just bust a move. Now, Wild Thing by Tone Gloke appears in this movie as well in a very prominent scene, but I felt this song was... But I actually like this song. I don't know why.
0: It's a fun song.
1: Yeah. I couldn't tell you much about Young MC or anything else he's ever done. It's just, you know, this, was, this is a groovy song. It's got a good beat to it.
0: And it's one of those that everybody gets up and dances, right? If you're at a wedding or something and they play this song, everybody dances.
1: Yes. I can't... I Still, you've got to watch this movie
0: okay
1: i can't believe you haven't seen this one okay. again you know what it's cliched it's typical 80s sort of slapstickish and blunt humor but it's hysterical john candy he's great
0: he is he really is
1: skinny puppy actually samples this movie which is well. do they hysterical if you know what it is and where it is in the song and what it's from i won't spoil it for you but if you once you watch it i'll point it out to you after you've seen it
0: okay well, so that, I think, brings us to an end of our John Hughes-themed episode. So in two weeks, Trey, I think we're going back to our format where we're talking about years. And well, what
1: are we on, 84 now?
0: So we're coming up on 1984, and I can yes. tell you I am going to have a hard time limiting it to 10 songs.
1: It's me too, but this year there's a lot going on in
0: 1984. Yeah. But- we'll do our best we'll uh we'll take our listeners through it and we'll talk about why 1984 was such a pivotal year for new wave music
1: yes we will
0: all right well thank you again for listening
1: thanks everybody
0: and goodbye we'll be back in two weeks
1: good night everybody enjoy